student loan forgiveness. It just happened. Well, at least it's been proposed. Jim and I want to ring in on this with an interesting and unique perspective, as well as propose a couple of solutions to how student loan debt could become a thing of the past. Welcome to Grace Archie with Jim Babka, sponsored by the Zero Aggression Project, zeroaggressionproject.org. I'm your host, Bill Protzman. Jim, let's get right into it. Well, forgiveness is like a Christian virtue, right? Yeah. There you, you go. You know, and forgive us our debts, right? As, yep. as we forgive oh, our debtors. Oh, there you go. Right? Yes. And uh, so it's pretty easy to sell that if you're running for something, but it's not, right. a, it's not a do no harm. In the spirit of do no harm, let's start by figuring out what harm is done by forgiving these student loans. It's immense. And let's start by saying that uh, future generations of students are being robbed. School tuitions will stay high. They've gone up. There's an interesting phenomena that the areas in which the state has tried to make things affordable, the personal areas that they've interfered with the most, things like healthcare, housing, education, where they've come in and said, we're going to make it easier for you to buy a home, where they've come in and said, we're going to make it easier for you to get an education. Making they said, Home we're Affordable going... Act. Remember that? It was the Making yes. Home Affordable Act, and it didn't. <laughs> Each of these things have failed miserably. And just on the housing thing, for just a quick second, if I may, I, I sat and talked with uh, a, a woman, I'm, a young woman I'm very, very fond of, who's 24 years old. And she lives in California, so you're going to appreciate this. And she, she talked about how hard it's going to be for them to buy a home and was new, moved near to tears. And it was a lot easier at my time because that was my generation's chance to eh, get lucky, right? We, uh, we had the yeah. free thing, but the future generation gets cut off in that process. So, you know, the, the easy, affordable housing that came with my generation, my kids, going to be hard for them to buy a house as a result. So the next generation of kids, we're not thinking about them in this case, are we? So, you know, you want to lecture me about compassion. Tell me about what's going to happen to the next generation of kids. Because oh, I'm smarter than that. I, I wouldn't lecture you on anything. Like no, that. but there are people who are out there lecturing on compassion right yes, now. Yes, and they are. This is the compassionate thing to do. Yep. And I'm saying the immediate group that hurt gets hurt the most is them. But it's not just them. Spike Cohen has floated a very interesting proposal. Let's have $50,000 home loan forgiveness right now. What would happen if we did that? I mean, we just had this huge explosion of the price of housing. And this friend I just described, who's in her mid-20s, how much harder will it be for her to buy a house if we forgive the current mortgage holders 50000 worth of their debt? So I think that there's also going to be a byproduct of inflation. The universities have been giving out a diploma that frequently isn't worth the, the, the paper it's printed on. They've been selling a, a very, very expensive product and it's gone up way faster than the rate of inflation. It's been, this has been the case for 35 years. College education is a lot more expensive and more and more people are deciding that's not such a great bargain anymore. There's an issue that keeps getting raised of fairness as well as to who, who paid it off. And I, you know, people are being disparaged for raising this. Like this is a boomer argument I read online. I pay for your stuff, you kids. Okay. But you're also talking to my kids. So my daughter had a $5,000 student loan before she was done. That was all she had. It was entire debt. She paid it off within six months of graduating because she didn't want to pay any interest on it. That was the way the, the policy worked. But she paid it off. 
now she should be asked to help pay other people's student loans. My son got an academic scholarship, darn near a full ride. He, his hard work, eh, so what? You should be asked to pay for other people's education too. And my youngest is not presently, uh, he did go to a little bit of college. He did uh, almost two years, but he now is in a blue collar profession. He's happy with his job. He went and secured a position that made him happy. And he should be asked to pay for somebody else's college education. We know for a fact that the people who are going to get their loans paid off are some of the more affluent people in their generational demographics across the board. So there's a bailout. If we want to be honest about it, there's a bailout here for the wealthy. Now, I understand there's some Pell Grant considerations that are being put in here to help people who got in on need in the first place. But the idea of, of an education was that you were investing in your own future. And if you're investing in your own future, then it was an investment and you should treat it that way. And that means, you know, pay for your own, your own loans. So I, I'm thinking about all these different effects of people having to pay that shouldn't have to, which has been the main argument that's been thrown out there. I don't want to pick that up in a partisan sense. I also don't want to pick it up as if, you know, in a, in a boomer sense, an age demographic sense. I want to talk about the fact that people who are young right now who are trying to get started in life are being asked to help pick up the tab. But the group that actually bothers me the most in all of this, the one that I think is being overlooked is the generation that comes next. Because the day of reckoning for universities was coming. It was really on the horizon. They've already seen declining enrollment and they just got bailed out. For delivering was, a, a substandard product in many ways. Yes, yes. Now, do you want to know the real reason this is being done? I mean, like the absolute real reason this is being done. Other than we've got an election coming up. That is it. Bing, 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 bing. Winner. Yep. Okay. We have, uh, this is a $10,000 per vote proposal paid for by the taxpayers. Yes. Leveraged by part, people from both parties, by the And it's way. actually going to cost more than 10000 per vote because not everybody that is going to get loan forgiveness is, is going to decide to vote Democrat. But more will. So it was, I don't know, was it 30000 per vote, 40000 per new vote that they capture? I mean, this is an expensive proposition. So the real bailout that's occurring here is, is potentially for the Democratic Party. Which doesn't, and I, really I, I don't, I don't, I don't cotton to this idea that the taxpayer money should be used to buy votes. I, and I know it goes on. I know it's common. I know that's how a lot of the system works. This is a pretty blatant example of it. Let's go back to the, um, I'll say it. Let's go back to the Christian and in certain sense, Jewish idea of Jubilee. Can you take us through the thinking on that one? This yeah, is it's a definitely, really interesting definitely. line of thought. Yeah, it's definitely a Jewish idea. So this was, uh, God taught his people in the law that there had to be a point of forgiveness and restoration back to, to normal. There's a set point. So land was an ancestral inheritance. It was in a family and it could be put up as security for a loan and it was possible to lose it or it was possible to, to have to sell it because you had debts to pay. And there was a recognition that loans and, and, and lands Loans had to be forgiven and lands had to be returned uh, at the seventh uh, break of seven years. So that would mean 49 years, basically. That was a kind of a magic number seven, right? That was an important number. And that would get to 49 and then it would be forgiven. And inherent in that idea then was that debt was a temporary thing and nobody could be permanently enslaved to this idea. That law wasn't followed by the people. 
but eventually a new law emerges and it's true in the Muslim tradition, it's true in the Jewish tradition, it's true in the Christian tradition. And it was true until a few hundred years ago, there was a ban or a prohibition on what was called usury. Now, usury often was defined as no loans whatsoever in, in, in a variety of settings. And there is a grace position that says that you should not loan to your brother. You should not take his coat from him. You should give. You should not give with no expectation of return. And that is how you meet the needs, say, of the poor or somebody trying to get, get started in life and so forth. That the idea of that debt is a form of bondage. It's a form of slavery. I think a more, we've learned certain things about credit since then. And I think a more modern take on no usury would be that two things should be true of any loan. One, the interest should be reasonable. So a high rate of interest would be, by definition, would be usurious. And two, and this is these two things kind of work together. They're tied together. I'll show you how in a second. That you shouldn't be able to break somebody's legs or enslave them. Sure, yeah. For, uh, for collection. So uh, I would say that a credit card rate of interest is incredibly high. I would rate it as normally usurious. The credit card company has zero leverage on you. They can hurt your credit rating, which you deserve, but they can't take anything from you. They can't come claim your house or your car or your coat. Uh, they can't put you in debt, uh, debt slavery, sell you off. They can't do those things. They can't break your legs like, like you know, Guido might do, right? Yeah. So because they can't do that, um, it's not really usury. But it's, it's legal bondage in a sense that is not as, um, how do I want to say this? The legal bondage that one has to a credit card company is much different than the legal bondage one has for a student loan, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so now we're getting into some really interesting uh, nuanced territory. Because first, student loans were made by banks, but students, surprise, surprise, didn't finish school or whatnot. They were real credit risk. They didn't pay back their loans. The government ended up taking over the student loan program, lock, stock, and barrel. And then they noticed that people didn't pay. And guess what? <laughs> government is the mafia. So they effectively found a way to break everyone's legs. They said, you cannot discharge this loan in bankruptcy. So if you got a rotten deal, if something went wrong and you couldn't afford to pay, you couldn't go get declare bankruptcy. So guess what? Government student loans are usurious. They're a violation of this really basic grace principle. This is, And I am not the least bit surprised that we are sitting here today in 2022 discussing a jubilee for the people. The problem was it wasn't set at 49 years. Nobody knew it was coming. This is an yeah. arbitrary political moment, okay? I'm not celebrating this. I don't agree with this, but I want to make clear that it's not surprising that we are in this moment right now and we are discussing the idea of giving forgiveness, a.k.a. a jubilee. So other than taking loans away, student loans away from the government entirely, um, how, what's, what do we, how, what's the response to this? Cause wait we know minute, the economic, why did, why did you, why did you suggest other than, I mean, that is the solution. Step one is to take it away from the government. They, they should not be able to be in this business. First off, tell me, show me where in the constitution, just show me where in the constitution 
the government has the authority to be involved in student loan business. You know, I'm an expert on the Third Amendment, Jim, but I can't really, you know, speak to that. <laughs> hey, we just hired 87,000 IRS agents. They might right. be quartering in your home soon. Exactly. So okay. be, you know, be aware, people. But I, I'm I, what I'm suggesting here is that's not a power that they had in the first place. Second, you have to have money to loan. Where does government consistently get its money? Government gets its money from stealing. From the printing press. <laughs> and that. So they either commit an act of fraud and generate the money out of thin air, or they steal. They either counterfeit or they engage in extortion. Those are their two fundraising methods. And do we want them then to be able to do loans to our children? Is that what we want? We've taught whole generations that this is how things work at this point in our lives. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, my dad uh, helped pay for my college and I didn't finish. True confession, I left as a senior. I was a bad student. I did not want to be there. Um, was a political science major, surprise, surprise. But I didn't. it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I, I left and went and started some businesses and I failed at every one of those, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot more there than I learned in college. I also learned a lot about myself, which is a thing I really needed to learn about um, at that time. And this is the thing. Everybody's going to have some kind of different path. It's not the same for everybody. But the idea that somehow we value college more. So I'm a fan of Mike Rowe, right? Dirty jobs, right? Yeah. yeah. This idea that there are certain occupations that we actually need. We need people to paint. And, and we need people to fix cars and we need people to do a whole host of things that, by the way, they turn out to be really good at. And I, I already referenced my son, who is currently a FedEx driver, and he's good at it, right? He's having fun doing it. We, it, we need delivery people right now. So I'm, I'm and, and he's, he's got a good job with a good company. He's, this is what he wants to do. Yep. Yep. And thank God he wants to do it. Thank God there's people who want to do it. And it's not what I want to do. It's not my path, but it's thank God it's possible. And also thank God that I didn't have to finish college to do what I'm doing now. Now, by the way, I cheated. I went and kept entrepreneuring until I was able to put myself in the position that I'm in right now. That's not cheating. I went through the school of hard knocks. Side hustle and it works. Yeah. And so, you know, all of these things should be available. Why are we uh, privileging? Why is there academic privilege? This is, you know, this is a, you want to have a privilege if you want to be critical. Uh, let's have a critical education theory, a critical higher education theory that uh, only the, the, the most valuable people in our society are those people that have a diploma from uh, at least a bachelor's degree. The more advanced education they are, the more valuable they are to us as a, as a culture and a society. There, ergo, the rest of society who are working day to day you know, at, at their job, trying to get a little, maybe a little bit of overtime to pay their bills. They should support this special privileged class. So let's, let's establish a, a case for a higher educational privilege. That's, that seems like a good idea. I can see this in the LinkedIn titles that come after everyone's name. And it's surprising to me, but in kind of a good way. Yeah because I work with a lot of military veterans, that a lot of military veterans are taking their education benefit to a higher education place. They're, if they haven't finished, they do their, ba- their bachelor's degree, and then they go on for master's. In many cases, it's an MBA. But there are also people going into the sciences. So there is a ride, actually, that's, that's being offered some people. I'm not talking about the for-profit 
colleges that have screwed a lot of veterans. I'm talking about committed people who actually want to further their own ability to serve the world through education or research or you know starting businesses. Uh, so I, I can see that happening, but it's almost like an MBA doesn't mean anything anymore because there's so many of them. For heaven's sakes, I, I have a book on my shelf about you know the 24 things you have to do to be an entrepreneur. By definition, entrepreneurs don't do those things. They are outside yes. the box. They don't follow the rules. And you know this yes. whole academic need for us to follow the rules and protocol everything and certify this and you know bless that like by science um, is not resulting in innovation in any large sense. Although it does produce a lot of good people who do a lot of good work, it's the equivalent of a advanced degree FedEx driver, you know, in the business world. So, um, you know, having the credential is one thing, but you've paid all that money for it, and what does it really mean if you don't, if you don't perform like in the first place? Like you got the hard, you got the school of hard knocks education. That's part of why you're doing what you're doing now. If you hadn't mm -hmm. had it, you wouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. College didn't give you that. No. And and I, I'm not, I, Bill, I want to be clear. I'm not decrying. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm not decrying a degree. I'm not decrying an education. I'm, I'm suggesting that there's more than one way to get it. I'm suggesting that one size doesn't fit all. I'm suggesting that we have a whole host of people needed and there are shortages in skilled blue collar professions. We, th this is what Mike Rowe is talking about all the time. Not everybody should go to college. Some people, our society would be better off if some people didn't. Uh, and, and people chose either the, a direct career path or they went out and innovated and became an entrepreneur. They found some way to change the world uh, by getting to work immediately and learning the lessons they needed to learn to be successful in that at an age where experimentation uh, can be indulged in. A lot harder to do it once you got a mortgage and kids, right? Seriously, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, you know, the idea that you should have to take these loans, I... I I think this is there's something wrong here. I actually do think there is a solution. I told you step one, very most important. I would like to get the government out of this, but I don't want to make it impossible for people who need the education to go. So there's already a number of scholarship programs and I'm very much for um, pro scholarship. But in addition to that, these institutions are selling a product and it's very common for institutions selling a product to offer credit. I started when I was in college, my college job was working for the largest paint company on the planet. And I worked in their stores. I, there was, there was a, a, there was a credit program available for the contractors that came in and used the product. The company underwrote it. They stood by their product enough and they developed relationships that mattered to them enough that they catered to those contractors and provided them you know, flexible, good terms to work under. And sometimes the terms could even be improved to close a bigger sale. That was part of maybe closing a bigger sale. Sure. But the yeah. university has been let off the hook by the taxpayer and they have found a way to come to the trough and say, you should provide all of these loans. And now that the whole program has gone badly and everybody's squealing, because Jubilee is needed. Instead of letting the institutions take the hit, are we going to continue to make have government guaranteed student loans? I think forgiveness should have meant the end of the student loan program. And these institutions should have had to figure out how to better serve their customers to help them achieve their actual, true, real life goals. And that would have been a truly gracious act. This loan forgiveness is a cheap stunt to buy votes. There's no coherent plan here. And my biggest objection to it 
is the fact that nothing is going to be done. Hey, let's just state one more factoid before we go off on this. Sure, I, yeah, I yeah. meant to mention this earlier. Sagar and Jetty has had a had a tweet out this week. I I I completely this is this this blows my mind. If you hand somebody money, if you forgive a certain amount of of their loans, they will get back into debt and get back into that same position within a certain amount of time. And we happen to know exactly how long it takes. So if you forgive ten thousand as the plan goes here in four years, people will, the people who got that forgiveness will have the same amount of debt. They'll they'll replace ten thousand dollars worth of new debt. I'll be right back and, up there. If it's if you go fifty, it takes ten years for them to get to that point. But here's the here's the thing: where's that money going? Are they going to put it in housing? Are they going to put it in something else? What price elsewhere gets driven up by basically new money in the form of loan forgiveness being pumped into the economy? This is where inflation, you know, begins to rear its head again. This is an inflationary act that Biden took, and he knows full well he took it in August, late August. He knows full well. That this this he won't the, the this inflation won't bite until sometime next year, at the earliest, and so that's why this action's happening now. I I just I yes, there's people being hurt here to bail out uh, higher ed and get Democrats votes, and I'm opposed to those two things. So I want to be clear: it, the idea of a jubilee appeals to me, if it meant the end of government involvement in the student loan program. If it meant that and and some other method had to be devised, then I, I, I couldn't help but be enthusiastic about this. But not in its current form. Nope. We've got models. Um, Starbucks has a good model. Work for Starbucks, get a college degree. And, and you know, that works. Um, I'd suggest that the biggest companies in the world should probably be participating at some level in that. We've got Amazon. We've got uh, Microsoft, there are places where people are generating significant wealth for an institution that could be redeployed to help those people better their education or maybe start a research program. And, you know, we wait until you get to the master's level before you have to go out and search for funding. Like you want to research something, rhesus monkeys or whatever. At the master's level, you can go and search for a grant for that. Not so much at the bachelor's level. But if you had to justify your education from the start, doing something that was important to you and perhaps to the world, um, that would put a whole different onus on this as well. But the free ride, you know, hey, I got a free ride to, you know, MIT to do what? You know, let's find out if what you're doing has merit and really vet that and, and ask the questions that are essential to whether or not that free ride is important to society at large, in addition to you as an individual. I and I'm love saying, the idea of a student almost being entrepreneurial and sitting down to write a grant proposal. Right. Instead right? of learning the and, 24 and, steps, like let's start out at, you know, at the end of high school. Yeah, no, I, I, I just, this is the first time I've heard this idea as you're saying it now. And I'm just kind of imagining a high school course in how to do this. Right. right? Yep. And then, and then you, you, you know, it's part of the college prep track. Yep. I, I mean, I could easily envision a situation where people get the the knowledge to go do that and now they have to execute on something. They have to actually demonstrate that they've done something by advancing their field in some way. Like they're, they want to go into something, but they've got to contribute to it. And that contribution is worth something to the rest of us in society. And, and yeah, so here's some funds to help do that. I could, that, that inherently makes much more sense. I, I don't want the government involved in any of this because again, their funding methods are extortion and counterfeiting, right? Yep. But <laughs> 
you know, if the government is going to be involved in some way, this, this makes a whole lot more sense than the version that we've had up till now. Stop the student loan program. If, if This is really my key thing. I'm not opposed to the Jubilee. I'm opposed to the fact that it was random, out of the blue, and designed to buy votes and bail out an institution that's been failing its customers, failing those customers badly. And instead of directing the IR where it should have been towards these institutions, it's being directed towards the funding mechanism, which yep. was predatory. Yep. In the first place. I, I just, I, it's just, uh, to me, this hasn't been diagnosed properly. This is not sound policy in, 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 in any sense of the word. And to come back now and say, well, if you object to this, you lack compassion. I think we've just illustrated here over the last, you know, 24 minutes, why that's not true. Now that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for hanging out with us for a little while here on Gray Sarkey. Jim and I appreciate your viewing and listening. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, ring the bell so you get notices when the episodes go live. And most importantly, comments. We love a good conversation, and we're willing to have them with you either in person, which we'd love to do, or online via comments to this, to this podcast. Be graceful to each other. Aho.